Yet not I, but through Christ in me. What a great reminder that is. And some of the truths that we sang in that song. We're, we're not bound in chains anymore. We're set free by the work of God and by the plan of God in eternity past. What a blessing it is for us to know that we are part of God's family. And we're so thankful that we have that great privilege and the knowledge of that great truth. There are some things that I want to share with you by way of prayer requests this morning. Um, We see part of the Siemens family with us, and that's a good thing, but part of them are not with us, so we want to pray for them. Uh, It's been about two weeks since Ben had his concussion, is that that right? So Ben got a concussion uh, two weeks ago, and he is still battling with the symptoms from the concussion, still light sensitivity, um, and just some of the other things that you get when you accompany a concussion, and so... He's struggling with that, and there's a little concern for that, that recovery process. So, so if you would pray for Ben, that would be appreciated. And Ezra was not feeling well uh, throughout the night and kept uh, some of them up at least. Uh, so Amanda's home with him, and we're thankful that the rest of them could be with us, though. Uh, so pray for the Seaman family uh, as, they, as they work through these health struggles. Um, another thing that I'm going to share with you, and uh, I think it's okay to do that, uh, Mark shared with us in our last deacons meeting that he's very short-staffed down at Kenny Drugs, uh, so we haven't seen him for a while, and we don't know when that is ever going to get sorted out, because there's vacations going on, and there's just not enough people there anyway. Uh, he misses being with us, but he has to be where he has to be on Sunday mornings to run the store. Uh, with, it's not a choice that he's making, it's just a, the result of the situation down there. So you pray for them as they try to figure out the staffing issues at Kenny Drugs. I know he would appreciate that and misses being with us. And then Jim shared with me, he had, <laughs> Jim had a bunch of car issues this week. He spent a lot of time down at Craig's Auto Care there in Homer. Uh, and while he was there, he had the opportunity to talk with Beth, who is the the lady who runs the shop down there, uh, her father is the owner and her brother is a mechanic and her brother-in-law is a mechanic. But she, I really believe from my conversation with her that I've had in the past, she's the glue that holds that place together, okay? Um, and the problem is she's had a broken ankle for six months now. Six months, not six weeks, six months. She's hobbling around. Part of that is because she, she can't take the time off to be off of her leg and she's she's walk, walking around in a in a cast with a boot on um, but Jim told her that we would pray for her so Beth I'm not sure what Beth's last name is but God knows uh, who she is and the needs that she has um, and obviously the reason we interact with people along these lines is not just because we're concerned about their physical well-being but we look for the opportunities that God might give to us to share with them in spiritual ways and so if we're involved praying for these individuals that God brings across our path, it may very well open up opportunities for us to uh, share the love of Christ with them. So you pray for Beth, and if you do business down there at Craig's, uh, just uh, let her know that you're thinking of her and praying for her, uh, and just keep, uh, keep tabs on how she's doing and how she's recovering there. I know she would appreciate that. 
All right, so last week we were in the Old Testament, right? Uh, we're going to stay in the Old Testament this week. So if you take your copy of the scriptures uh, that you brought with you this morning and open to Genesis chapter 22, Genesis chapter 22 is where we are going to spend our time today. The day on the calendar says, it reminds us that it's Father's Day, okay? So we take time out to honor those men that we call fathers, those that we have had the pleasure of knowing and have had the opportunity for them to shape and mold our lives. We, uh, as we were heading out to Western New York, we stopped at the store uh, and Barbara said, I want to get a Father's Day card for my dad. I said, it's not going to get there on time. And well, that wouldn't be normal if it got there on time. So anyway, uh, we planned for him to get his Father's Day cards a day late. So anyway, uh, but, but she stopped and we're looking at cards and she's finally picked out a card and I was looking at a couple. And so we walk out of the store with two Father's Day cards. And I'm like, do you have a father that I don't know about? Uh, And she says, what are you talking about? I said, well, how come two Father's Day cards? Uh, I said, are you trying to catch up for last year or maybe getting ahead for next year? No, I just wanted to send my dad two cards, okay? So dads are important people in our lives, and they've had an opportunity to mold us and shape us. And you say, well, I'm not a father, so I'm not celebrating Father's Day. Well, you know what? You have a father. We wouldn't be here if we didn't. Uh, so you need to be thankful for the man that God allowed to bring you into this world. Uh, and you know what? So you might say, well, pastor, my dad wasn't a very good dad. I can identify with that. Okay. My dad left when I was three and I seldom saw him after that. Okay. But in later years in my life, he brought us back together, had the opportunity to share the gospel with him. That what he did with that, I don't know. Uh, he says he accepted Christ as his savior. That's between him and God. But we had the opportunity just to reunite and to, uh, uh, I wouldn't say rekindle, but we had the opportunity to keep in touch with one another and, and see what was going on in each other's lives. He made the effort several times. Uh, he lived in Niagara Falls. That's where we, that's where we kind of first three years of my life grew up. Um, and so when we were on pre-field ministries deputation, I would just do my due diligence and call him up and say, hey, dad, we're going to be at this place in uh, Western New York. If you want to come, you're more than welcome to come. And, and you know what? Almost every time he showed up, The first time he showed up, I didn't know what to do. Uh, I was sitting in the back room uh, in a Sunday school class, and the church secretary comes, and she says, Pastor Mowers, there's somebody here to see you. And I'm like, somebody here to see me? I don't know anybody in this area. Why would there be anybody here to see me? Um, And as I'm walking through the worship center to get to the the foyer, it dawned on me. I wonder if it's my dad. I wonder if he's here today. I, I invited him, never expected him to show up, and so I walk out, and there's this guy, and I had to look closely, because I didn't, you know, I didn't know him that well, and, and I said, Dad, is that you? And he looks at me, and he says, hey, Tim, how are you? And it was, and so I was like, oh, no, what, a, what do I do now? Um, you know, I was supposed to preach in about 10 minutes, and, and, and so now I have this big surprise, and so we went back into the back room to pray with the pastor and the deacons. And I said, hey, guys, and I'd never been in this church before, okay? I said, hey, listen, my dad just showed up, and I haven't seen him since we got married. And before that, I hadn't seen him in many years. Um, and, and so I need to preach the gospel to him today. And Pastor Damon looked at me and says, yes, you do. 
I said, so, what, I, I mean, I took out my notes and I said, I, I was prepared for the, this message this morning, but now I don't know what I'm going to say because I have to preach, I, I have to get the gospel out. I have to give him the gospel message. And so he says, well, we'll be praying for you and you, you say what God laid upon, lays upon your heart. So, I mean, I used my notes to some degree, but it was different than what I normally preached and, and the gospel went clearly forth. And every time we were in that church, my dad showed up to, to hear us and, and meet with us. And that church family kind of, in some ways, really adopted him. You know, as a missionary speaker, they plan your weekend out for you. And they say, you're going here and you're going there and you're going to do this. Everywhere we went, the people knew that my dad was there. So they said, hey, bring your dad with you. Really? You want, I mean, you don't know my dad. You, you really... Yes, yes, please bring your dad. So he would come and he would see the love of Christ through these people. And so it's, it's, God has given us our dads for a reason. Maybe he's given you your dad so you can share Jesus with him. Maybe he's given you your dad because he's the one who shared Jesus with you. We don't know the reasons, but, but we all have dads and we need to be thankful for God giving us the dads that we have because God knows what he's doing. And, and so as you make that connection with him or as, I, as your kids connect with you today, um, uh, just remember the fact that God has placed you where you are in their lives and, and them in yours. So take advantage of those opportunities as you have them today. Um, now, I don't know in your mind what the picture of dad looks like for you. Maybe it looks something like this. Um, Dad, can you, uh, can you help me with this? I, 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 I have to do this project for school, and I, I don't really know where to start. I don't know how to do it. Uh, Micah had this project one time, and, and, and you, know, you know Micah, so um, he had a choice of things that he could build, middle, medieval history kind of thing, um, and we still have it. We brought it from, I think it was, was it Illinois where he, we built this thing? Okay, so we brought it from Illinois to uh, Montgomery, New York, and from Montgomery, New York to Preble, New York, and it's still in the basement, okay? We built a catapult, okay? It's probably a little bit smaller than the size of the pulpit, but we, and you can't, you couldn't use any, anything that, like any metal or anything in this project, so we made it out of two by fours and string and all this kind of stuff. It actually works pretty good, but every time I say, hey, can we get rid of this thing? No, dad. We made that together. We can't get rid of that. Uh, so I don't, he doesn't want to take it with him, but he doesn't want to get rid of it. Okay? So maybe you're the dad who helps your kids make stuff for school projects. Maybe you're the dad who uh, the child comes up to you and, and it's, a, it's, it's as simple as a stick. Okay? My kids have come up to me before, much younger than they are now, with a broken stick and says, Daddy, can you fix it? It's a stick. Yes, it's a stick, Daddy. Can you fix it? Nah, we can try. We can try. So we try to piece it back together and maybe even glue it and wrap, it, wrap a string around it. I mean, yeah, you come up with all these kinds of crazy things because you're the dad and you're supposed to fix it. You might hear, Dad, there's a bug in my room. Come kill it. I'm telling you, you know, we lived in Africa for many years. Our room was way down at the other end of the house. Rachel's room was way down at that end of the house. 
and lots of concrete walls in between because that's what they built with out of there. We heard this scream come from the other end of the house. Amazing that we heard it because, you know, you might yell, hey, Rachel, come here. 20 minutes later, she's nowhere to be found because I didn't hear you. That's the kind of situation in our house with thick walls. But this scream, we heard. And so when you hear your daughter scream, what do you do? You get up and you go running to wherever the scream came from. And I get to her room and there's this black spot up in the corner about this big around. I said, what is the matter? She says, there's a spider up there. So the next thing I know is the thing. So what was like maybe this big around now has a leg that's about that long on it. And then another leg pops out. You know, there's eight of them, right? So now we've got this spider that's more like this big around than this big around. And I'm like, okay, it's just a spider. Dad, kill it. Why should I kill the spider? It's not even a heart. It's not even a poisonous one. How do you know? Well, most of them aren't. Yeah, but do you know? Well, not really. Well, kill it. I'm not going to kill it. So I get a big plastic container and I get up there on the ladder and I catch the spider in this container. I mean, I put the container over the spider, but no, now you're brilliant. You've, you've kind of trapped it. What do you, and now it's mad at you. So what are you going to do? So I say, go get me a piece of paper. So I got a piece of paper and I slid it underneath the container and we took the paper and pushed it up against the container. So now we got this big old spider stuck in a, in a plastic container with a piece of paper on top of it. What are we going to do with this? She says, Dad, you're going to kill it, right? I said, no. Well, what are you going to do with it? So I took it outside and I threw it over the fence in the neighbor's property. Um, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> you know, Dad, you're supposed to take care of these problems. You're supposed to help your kids. Dad. I need twenty dollars. It's not even twenty dollars anymore, Dad. I need fifty dollars for something at school today. You could have told me a little bit ago, so I could have planned for it. No, I, I gotta have it today. So you open up the wallet, or you get the checkbook out, Dads. I sometimes, you know, our kids will say, "Hey, Dad, can you help us with this?" And so I go to the bank and I say, um, "I need to make a withdrawal." Uh, because she says, "Well, you, how do you want them?" I said, "It doesn't matter. She's going to go into the First National Bank of Dad." Um, so I have to go to Rachel's bank or a bank that cooperates and deposit a little bit of money to help her out or Micah or whatever. You know, the first national bank of dad, how many experience that? Okay. Uh, yeah, we get that going on in our lives. And if you're not at that stage yet, it's coming. Okay. It's coming. But dads, what do dads do? Dads take care of their kids. At least that's the way God intended it to be. You know, there are certain things that make for good dads. And then there are certain things that make for a good dad. Would you agree with that? There are certain things that make for a good dad. And I trust that you and I will be able to be good dads to the people that God has placed in our life so that we fulfill that role well. This morning, we're going to take a look at a biblical father, and we're going to see what made him a good dad and how God responded to that father. It's a story that you know well, but I would like you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22 if you haven't done that already. Follow along with me as I tell you this story. Uh, can I add to this one thing that's, that makes a good dad is if you're a good storyteller, okay? 
my kids still, they've lived through my stories, but they still say, Dad, can you tell the one about? Dad, can you tell the one when we... So dads, you tell good stories. And the best stories are where you've been involved in the lives of your kids. So let me give you a bit of the background of the story first. There's this guy by the name of Abraham. You know who he is? God called him out of the land of his forefathers, out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he told him to go to a place that I will tell you. He didn't even tell him ahead of time where he was going. You know, we went to uh, Bethany camp over the weekend, had no idea where this place was, so we Googled it, and we got directions, uh, and, and, and we put the directions on our phone, which hooked up to our car, so we got on the road, and we're traveling to Bethany camp, knowing exactly where we're going. We didn't make any wrong turns, nothing. We got to where we needed to be, because we had directions. God said to Abraham, get up out of Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land I will show you. He didn't even tell him the name. He didn't give him the GPS directions. He didn't give him anything. How will I know? When you get there, I will let you know that you got there. That's kind of the conversation that they had between each other. Now, we've probably had similar situations because my wife is a navigator. She loves to have maps. Um, how do I know when I'm going to get there? I don't know. We'll know when we get there. She doesn't ever buy that answer for some reason. Um, she always wants to have the map and she wants to plot it out and she wants to know where we're going. She wouldn't have worked out well for Abraham. That's why her name's Barb, not Sarah, okay? Abraham had no idea where he was going. He was going wherever God told him to go. And when he got there, he would stop. Get out of the land of Ur the Chaldees and go to where I will tell you. And so Abraham left the land he grew up in. He left everything that he knew. And he trusted God to make him a great nation like God said he would do. Abraham left that land and he, was, he saw God do incredible things in his life. He saw God do amazing things. We don't know all the details of Abraham's life. We know several of them. And the things that, that Abraham did uh, in his relationship with God called him to, caused him to become a man of faith. A man who was known for being a faithful individual. At the age of 100, Abraham became a father. Wow! A hundred years old. Can you imagine chasing around a toddler at 103? Yeah, I have a hard time chasing around my grandkids, and I'm only half that. All right? But, but Abraham became a, a, a father at 100 years old. Why? Because God said he would. When he was 90, God made a promise. I'll make you a great nation. God saw, or Abraham saw God make the things happen in his life that allowed him to be the father of a great nation. They had this son called Isaac, okay? And they loved Isaac, you know why they loved Isaac? Because they knew he was a miracle from God. Obviously, he was a miracle from God at the age of 100, okay? Isaac grew into a fine young man, and one day God decided to give Abraham the opportunity to show his true character. You might say that God was testing this man named Abraham. He wanted, him to, he wanted to see just how obedient Abraham would be. So God told Abraham, Abraham, take your son, 
Your only son, that one Isaac, your dearly beloved son. Take this boy Isaac and and go on a road trip with him to the land of Moriah. And when you get there, I want you to make a sacrifice. Okay, God, what's the sacrifice? Isaac. Huh? What are you talking about? Isaac. Yeah. We're going to sacrifice Isaac. It was a long trip. Took him three days to get there. Can you imagine? Abraham gets up early in the morning, had the bags all packed the night before. Isaac, we're going on a trip. Okay, Dad, let's go. Three days. Abraham knows what this trip is about. Isaac has no clue. Can you imagine the silence on that, convers- on that road trip? What do you talk about? Well, when we get there, I'm going to put you on an altar. I'm going to light you on fire. The trip wouldn't have gone so well. I don't know what they talked about. Probably they talked about God and how amazing God was and, and how God would provide. Abraham, the friend of God, did exactly what God told him to do. He wasted no time. You know, if it were me, I might kind of beat around the bush. I might kind of hem and haw, hoping that somewhere along the way God would change his mind. Abraham didn't do that. The Bible says he got up, he, he, he got up early in the morning. He got the supplies all together. He split the wood. He loaded up the donkeys. He took a couple of servants and they headed off to Moriah. Isaac, wondering where we're going. What's this trip all about, Dad? Is this my trip into manhood? In more ways than one. Abraham, he was thinking about how this was going to unfold on the journey towards the mountains of Moriah. After three days, Abraham looked up and he saw the mountains that God had directed him to and he told the servants to stay there with the donkey, that he and his son were going off to the mountains to worship and make a sacrifice. Abraham and Isaac start up the mountain Isaac carrying the wood because he's a young man and Abraham's an old man now, older man. Uh, and and he's, Isaac says, hey dad, we got the wood and, and we got the fire and we got the, the knife, but I don't see a sacrifice, dad. What are, what are we going to do for a sacrifice? And Abraham says, son, God will provide. God will provide the sacrifice. So as they head off uh, for the site of the sacrifice, this 15-year-old boy Isaac has lots of questions and very few answers. How do we make a sacrifice? (coughs) Excuse me. How do we sacrifice dad without a lamb? (coughs) Excuse me. And Abraham said, God will provide. So without any further questioning, Isaac carried the wood towards the site for the sacrifice. They got to the place. The Lord showed Abraham. And there they built the altar for the sacrifice. But still, no sacrifice. Abraham is busy. He's putting all the wood in the right order, just the right arrangements. And, they pro- and then he says, come here, son. 
he proceeds to bind his son. Now remember, Isaac is 15, Abraham is more than 110 years old. Isaac could do what he wanted to with his father, I'm sure. And yet, he allows his father to tie him up. I'm not sure I like where this is going, Dad. Not sure. Do you, are you sure you know what you're doing? You're not suffering from a little bit of dementia here? You got this all right, Dad? Yes, son, we've got it all right. We learn from Isaac, though, in this, what was he? He was willing He was obedient. He trusted his father. So his father binds him. And I'm also pretty sure that Isaac, being 15, probably a strapping young man, farm boy, you know, um, probably not something that Abraham could easily pick up and place on the altar. It was probably more like, son, would you please get up on the altar? Would you please climb up there? Because now is the time for the sacrifice. Now, let me add this to the story. Abraham came from Ur of the Chaldees. You know what they did a lot in Ur of the Chaldees? They sacrificed their children. That was not uncommon for them in Ur of the Chaldees. So, Isaac willingly crawls up on the altar. Still hoping and wondering if there was going to be something different. So Abraham stretches out his hand with Isaac on the altar, and he's ready to take the knife and to plunge it into his son Isaac. And as he has the arm outstretched, Scripture's very clear, his arm is outstretched, ready to slay his son Isaac, and God says, Abraham, it's a good thing he wasn't hard of hearing at 110 years old. Abraham! Yes, Lord? It wasn't like, and, and the picture is he's still there. Yes, Lord? It wasn't like he was like, I was waiting for that call. Yes, Lord? Abraham, do your son no harm. I have seen your faithfulness. I have seen that you are willing to sacrifice your only son, Isaac, to me. And then scripture says, Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught in the thickets by his horns. Can I tell you that that was not a coincidence? That was God's plan all along. And instead of Isaac being offered on the altar, the ram was offered in his place. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. And, and the people called it by that name even when Moses wrote the account of Abraham's situation in Moriah and his willingness to offer his son to God. But the story does not end there. There's more to it. God spoke to Abraham again out of heaven and he said to Abraham, Remember the promise I made to you, Abraham? The promise that I, I, I told you about how your descendants would be as many as the stars of the sky? and the sand on the seashore. Remember how I told you your descendants would be the nations of the world and that all of the nations would be blessed through you? 
Well, I swear to you by my name, Jehovah Jireh, that those things will happen just like I promised they would happen. What a great story, right? But like I said, here's the thing. God is sovereign. We've been talking about the fact of God's sovereignty. We've been talking about the fact that God is in control. God knows what he's doing. When your life is out of control and you don't know what's going on in your world, you can take comfort in the fact of knowing that God is in control. No matter what's happening in your life, no matter how good or how bad things are, God is in control. The things that happen in our life that surprise us, they don't surprise God. God knows everything that's going to unfold in your life. Let's see what we can learn from this story about a father's faith and the father's faithfulness. The father, of course, is God the father, and Abraham shows his faith in this whole account, encounter. So what do we learn uh, from this passage of Scripture? Well, first of, first of all, we see that Father Abraham was obedient. Father Abraham was obedient. Have you ever been told to do something that you didn't want to do and that you didn't think would work out so well, but knew that you still should be obedient to what you were told to do? This is Abraham. Abraham is told to do something. The test is, will he do it? We find out from the story that yes, Abraham did do it. He was obedient. First of all, we see that Abraham listened. In verse 1, God called Abraham. And his response is a great example to us. When God called Abraham, Abraham said, Here I am, God. What do you want from me today? What would you like me to do today? I'm listening, God. Tell me. Show me. What am I supposed to do? What an example that that Abraham set for Isaac. When you and I listen or understand through the pages of Scripture what God asks us to do, and God is pretty clear in the pages of Scripture what He wants you and I as His children to do as we study them, as we read them together with our family and we learn. Abraham's response was, Here I am, God, you tell me, and I'm ready to do it. What a great thing for our children to see us respond the same way. Yes, God, whatever it is you want me to do, I will do it. It was easy for us to take our kids to Africa and, and to do ministry in Africa because we only had two at the time. But we decided before we had any that, we were, that that's, what we were, that's what God wanted us to do. And so we just followed on the steps. We know people who in their 30s or 40s, God calls them to ministry in another place, in another country, and they pack it all up with their kids, and their kids are scratching their heads, like, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? We're all settled here. We know exactly what's going on in life. Why are you changing the plan? Well, because God has a different plan. And so as these parents with children walk through and they, the children see mom and dad do what God, in fact, we had, there was a guy that works on staff at Camp Bethany. 
his mom and dad in their later years in life became missionaries to South Africa. And we talked about, I talked about that with Tim yesterday, how his mom and dad came to South Africa and, and served the Lord there. And he says, yeah, well, I didn't have to spend much time in Africa, but I got to spend some because, you know, he was almost near graduation and he had his mom and dad packed everything up and brought the kids to South Africa. Yes, you set that example of obeying. And you know what? Tim is in ministry because he saw his dad faithfully obey the call of God to ministry later on in life. What an example. What a good example to set. Abraham listened to what God asked him to do. We also see that Abraham was led by the Lord. In verse 2 of chapter 22, it says, Then he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac. And as we worked our way through the story, we saw that he did exactly that. He took his son, his only son Isaac, and he did exactly what God asked him to do. Off they go to the land of Moriah. And he offered, he went all the way to offer his son on the altar. How? You and I might look at that situation and say, why would he do that? How does he even have the ability to do that? Because Abraham trusted God. Abraham was willing to follow God. Sometimes people ask me, how do you know that God, that you should do that even though God asks you to do it? Here's some advice that you can write down and take it with you wherever you go. God is too wise to make a mistake and too loving not to care. God will never ask you to do something that is wrong. He's too wise to make a mistake. And God will never ask you to do anything that is harmful to the end result of your family being what he wants it to be. He's too loving not to care. He's too wise to make a mistake, too loving not to care. If God asks you to do something, you do it. But what if I don't like it? How much do you trust God? How much are you willing to let God be the God of your life? The one in control of your life. You know, here's, here's something else that you need to understand. God's never going to ask you to sin. Okay? Never. He'll never ask you to do something wrong. So when people come and say to me, Pastor, um, and this has happened, Pastor, I, I think God wants me to divorce my wife. Like, what? Yeah, yeah, no, he, he, he told me that. I said, no, he didn't. Well, how do you know that? Because he told us in his word that you leave and you cleave. And you develop a bond that nothing can separate. Nothing. Yeah, but I think. Well, that's the problem. You're thinking and you're not listening to what God is saying. God is never going to tell you to do something in his word that contra- or tell you something outside of his word that contradicts what his word says. Because he doesn't change. He's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. If when he made Adam and Eve and he put him in the garden and said, the two shall be one flesh, I don't care if it's, I believe in a young earth, so 6,000, 7,000 years ago, I believe that that's just as relevant for today as it was then. God's not going to change his mind even though thousands of years have passed. He's not going to change his order of operations. It's the same. 
He's not going to contradict himself. God will never ask you to sin, but he will ask you to trust him and to obey him. Abraham obeyed the Lord as he was led by the Lord. As we continue moving through our text, we see that Father Abraham exercised outrageous faith. Outrageous faith. That word outrageous is kind of a, it's a word that we use, it's it's extraordinary. It's beyond what we can even imagine. It's amazing. It's incredible. Abraham had outrageous faith. How do we know that? Well, first of all, we see that Abraham talked like a man of faith. Talked like a man of faith. Now, lots of people talk like they are people of faith. And and let's just leave that there for a moment. Abraham talked like he was a man of faith. In verse 5, he told his young men to stay with the donkey and that he and Isaac were going to go and worship. He didn't stop there. He said, and we, plural, we will return to you. Now, there's a couple of suggestions about what this means, and the Nelson Study Bible gives us those suggestions. Here's one of them. This was simply a bold-faced lie by Abraham to buy some time because he knew that if his servants knew his true intent, they would have stopped him. Can you imagine his servants who Abraham had influenced throughout their lives? In fact, at one point he was a lot willing to let his chief servant become the heir of his entire household that's how close he was to his servants his servants knew that he was a man of God can you imagine if he told his servants hey uh, don't tell Isaac but I'm going to go up to the mountain here and I'm going to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain his those servants probably would have stopped him or at least tried to stop him and it wouldn't have been much stopping a 110 year old man okay So either it was a bold-faced lie that Abraham told because he didn't want his servants interfering with him. I'm going to tell you it's not the one. That's not the reason. The second thought or the second suggestion is that Abraham was bewildered and not speaking rationally because of the reality of about what he was going to do. It finally gripped him and he's like, oh no, I really have to kill my son. I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah, I think he was in his right mind. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. I think he knew that God would take care of the situation. Here's the third suggestion of how he talked, how we know he talked like a man of faith. Abraham believed that God was going to make him the father of a great nation through Isaac. How do we know that? Because scripture tells us over and over again that Abraham operated out of faith. Abraham believed God, and what does Hebrews say? It was counted to him for righteousness. He believed God. And by the way, can I ask you? You know it's coming, right? What's the definition for faith? Believing that God is able to do what he says he will do and ordering my life accordingly. Can you see that in Abraham's situation here? God said, Abraham, I want you to go to a land far away. And I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, and I want you to offer him on a sacrifice to me in the mountains of Moriah. What's Abraham do? He gets up early in the morning, prepares, gets Isaac, takes him with him, and he takes him to to offer his son. Isaac believed God, he ordered his life accordingly, and he trusted God to work it all out. That's what faith is. 
Abraham believed and God counted it to him for righteousness sake. God, he believed, was going to make him a father of a great nation through his son Isaac. He believed that if he took his son Isaac up to the mountains of Moriah and sacrificed him on the altar, that he would raise his son Isaac from the dead and they would come back and they would be with the servants again. Woo! Can I tell you something? That is faith. That is faith. Can I also tell you something? God's not going to ask you to sacrifice your son or your daughter. Okay? He's just not, it doesn't work that way today. This was a unique thing for this man named Isaac. I'm convinced that that's what Abraham thought. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 19 says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. He concluded that God was able to raise him up from even the dead, from which he had also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham was 100 years old. How possible, even in that day, is it for a 100-year-old man to have a baby through a woman who is 90 years old? It's impossible. Sexually speaking, they were both dead. And yet God gave them a child in their deadness. And now God says, go offer him on the altar. Abraham knew that if God brought him from the dead once, he could bring him from the dead again. What faith? I'm telling you, Abraham is a man of faith. Abraham's faith is seen in what he tells his servants they are about to do. In the Hebrew, these words are even a stronger statement of Abraham's faith than in our English translations. Get this, the three verbs all show a strong determination on the part of the speaker. Abraham is telling his servants, we are determined to go, we are determined to worship, and we are determined to return. He had no doubts in who his God was and what his God was able to do. Abraham talked like a man of faith. Abraham also was teaching about faith. He was teaching about faith. Who was he teaching? He was teaching his son, his son Isaac. He said, listen to me, Isaac. The Lord will provide the sacrifice. The Lord, the God of heaven, the the God who brought you into this world, he will provide the sacrifice. He was confident that God was going to provide in that situation, whether it was providing returned life, restored life to Isaac, or some other form of sacrifice, he was confident in what God would do. We see here in verse 8 of chapter 22, it says, And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went up together uh, to the mountain. That word provide is to see to it. That's what that word means. When we say Jehovah will provide, Jehovah will see to it. He will be sure. He will make it happen. Um, I grew up watching Star Trek. Okay, The Next Generation was a show that we, after we got married, we watched it a lot. Um, and you know what Captain Picard used to say to his number one 
assistant will make it so, so, number one. Make it so. What is God saying to us? Make it so. And what can we say back to God? I trust you, God, to make it so. So Isaac said, Dad, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham said, Son, the Lord will make it so. The Lord will make it happen. We also see that he was teaching his son about faith when he, when he said the Lord will take care of the details. God will sort it out. God will make it happen. God will provide for the burnt offering. Kyle Yates pays this tribute to Abraham. He says, actually Abraham was saying that Jehovah was able to see that that they would, there would be a sacrifice in God's way. Abraham had within his heart a quiet assurance that God was able to care for such details. Abraham did not know the boy would be spared the experience of death, but he had faith to believe that the omnipotent God would provide whatever was necessary in his own way, in his own time. I'm sure that as a child of God, you can tell stories of how God has made it so in your life. God asks you to do something. We, can I tell you this, and this is not, not bragging on our part, we were never, ever 100% supported when we were missionaries. We'd buy our plane tickets, and we'd head off to Africa. Well, how do you know you're going to have enough money? We don't. Whatever. God will take care of it. You know what? I, only one time did I ever go to the ATM and put the ATM card in and there wasn't any money there to take out. Once that happened. Whew, that's, a, that's, a, that's a little bit of a scary thing. Only once. Every other time. And we probably didn't even need what we thought we needed at that time. Every other time God provided. He, he always met the needs that we had. We didn't always know how it was going to happen. We, had to get, we got there and we had to buy a car. We didn't know anything about buying cars in Africa. So we started looking. I went to a, a second-hand car dealer. They had this old ratty car, had a Muslim bumper sticker or sticker in the window, some Arabic saying in it. And the guy said, this is the best I have to offer you. For the amount of money you have, it's the best I have. I said, nah. I'm not so sure I want that one. So we kept looking. And as we were visiting people, inviting them to come to church, you know what? We met. We met a guy in a nursing home. We actually, his daughter, we met his daughter. He was a former judge. He had this 1974 Mercedes Benz. He kept it in perfect condition. This is 1990. Yeah, 1995, okay, 74, 95, almost 20 years old. But this Mercedes Benz was in perfect nick. How much do you want for it? And it was a steal. So he said, well, we'll buy it. So we went and we got the money out of the bank and we bought this 74 Mercedes Benz and we drove it. We'd have no problems with it. I'll tell you what, if we hit something with that 74 Mercedes Benz, it would have been bad news for whatever we hit because that thing was a tank. That thing was well built. We drove it for the first two years that we were there. Didn't have any problems with it. God provided. We didn't know how he was going to provide for a car. We didn't know how he was going to provide for the next car because we sold that one, came back to America to raise more support. Every time we needed a car, God provided. 
we were, Barb was hit by a dump truck one time. How are we going to replace this car? We don't know. We don't know how it's going to... Went to the friend of ours who developed relationships now. Went to a friend of ours. He said, I got just the car for you. It's a, it's a Hyundai station wagon. It's got all the bells and whistles. God provided. We never went without. And can I ask you, do you as a child of God ever go without the things you need? No. We don't. Why? Because God promised to meet our needs. He always, always does. He takes care of the details. That's what he was teaching his son Isaac. God will take care of the details. So let's quickly recap here. The truth about faith. What is the truth about faith? Well, I think it helps us see the magnitude of Abraham's faith. Abraham knew two things as they uh, approached, or three things as they approached the mountains of Moriah. He knew that God planned the future around Isaac. God had already made that clear. The future of your nation, the future of the blessing of all nations is through your son, Isaac. So he trusted God with Isaac's care. He trusted God that God would do what was right when it comes to Isaac. He also knew that God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac as a burnt offering. How do you reconcile the two? You know what? Sometimes when we act in faith, we can't reconcile the things that God asks us to do. So we just do it. Abraham didn't know how to reconcile these two things, but he knew his God. He knew that he could trust his God, and he knew that he needed to obey his God. So we can agree on that faith. That is amazing faith, Abraham says. And and so let's continue on. What does this faith produce? And we're going to go through this quickly. Uh, the, The faith that Abraham has, it produces an orthodox fear of God. Verse 12, look at, what, look what Moses records for us in verse 12. He says this, And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son. God makes an announcement here to Abraham. Do not touch your child. Do not lay your hand on your child. I know, and you know what's more important? So does Abraham know that Abraham now fears God. This is not just anyone saying that Abraham feared God. This compliment came from the angel of the Lord, who in reality is Jehovah God himself. Abraham's fear of God conformed him to God's image. He knew what he expected his God to do, and he demonstrated that to Isaac, and I believe that moment changed Isaac's life forever. The announcement of Abraham's fear of God. We also see the actions that show he feared God. We often wonder what it means to fear God. What does it mean to be in fear of God? Sometimes we make it out to be a spooky thing, kind of a mysterious thing. But you know what? We see here in Abraham's life what it means to fear God. Let me give you three insights quickly that characterize one who fears God. The first insight is the person who fears God is in awe of God. If you fear God, you are in awe of him. We reverence him as the sovereign creator. In other words, we give him the reverential awe and respect that is due the sovereign creator of the ruler of the heavens and the earth. And you know what? Can I challenge dads and grandpas to do this? To to model that respect 
Respect is a lost thing in our culture today. Dads, grandpas, you need to model that for your children. They need to see you respect those that you're supposed to respect. You need to be in awe of God. That's a, that shows that you are in fear of God. We also see that Abraham affirms his belief. He, he affirms his implicit trust <coughs> in the one true God. This is equal to complete and absolute trust on the part of Abraham without any reservations. And, and this is often illustrated in what we know as the trust fall. <clears throat> we did this with Josiah the other day when we were at the, at the park in Ithaca. We stood him up on the, on the bench and, and Josh, Josh and I stood on each side of him and we said, now we want you to just fall back. Don't bend your knees. Keep your body flat. Keep your body straight. Just fall, put your arms like this. Fall back. Now he's four years old, okay? And, and, and so he's like, really, Dad? I mean, he didn't say that, but you can tell by the look on his face. That's what you want me to do? So he does it, and of course, Josh and I catch him. Now, it's one thing for somebody as small as a four-year-old, but you know what? It works for an adult. You get somebody to stand, and we're not going to do it today, you get somebody to stand on something like platform, and you have uh, three people on one side, three people on the other side, they all kind of put their arms in between, and you say to the person standing up on the high point, go ahead and fall back. You have to trust that the people that are down there are going to catch you. And you're at a distance that if they don't catch you, you're probably going to get hurt in some way or another. But it always works. If the person trusting simply trusts, doesn't do this because, oh, they might not catch me, that'll make you fall for sure. You have to follow the directions. You have to do exactly what you're told. And if you simply fall back, the people are going to catch you. They don't even really have to do anything to make it happen. They just need to follow the directions themselves. Trust, implicit trust, no questions asked. That's what Abraham demonstrated to Isaac. No questions asked. Our trust in God cannot be half-hearted. It can't be compromised. He has never failed us yet, and he will never fail us moving forward. He's not going to start now. You know why? Because it goes against his nature. God's nature is to be trusted. You and I must trust and then we see that you must, you must demonstrate absolute obedience without any questions. We saw this again in Abraham. Even in an extreme situation for him to offer his son, he simply obeyed. And as a result, we see the, father's, the father God's, our father God's ongoing faithfulness in verses 17 through 19. Very quickly, what do we see as, a, as the Father's ongoing faithfulness? Well, we see, we see comprehensive blessing from the hand of God. God said to Abraham, In blessing, I will bless you. God promised that he would bless Abraham. And what does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, one commentator put it this way. The blessing of God is his smile, the warmth of his pleasure, The Lord's promise of his personal blessing to Abraham and Sarah included the benefits of a long and healthy life plus wealth and importance. Did God bless Abraham and Sarah? Listen to Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. Here it is. Now Abraham was old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed all that Abraham had. Blessed him in every way possible. Yes, 
God can be trusted. We also see the Father's faithfulness through countless descendants. He says, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply you. Here God is talking about the descendants of Abraham. In chapter 15, God described the promise to Abraham, who was 85 years old at the time and had no children. He said, then God brought Abraham, Abram outside and said, look, look around at the stars of the heaven. Count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said, God said to Abraham, so shall your descendants be. You can't count all the stars. Abraham couldn't do it. We can't do it. And you know what? You can't count the descendants of Abraham. He made him a, a, a father of countless numbers of people. He also promised them the conquest of Canaan land, the promised land. God said, your descendants shall possess the gates of your enemies. And this was a bold proclamation from Abraham's God. God was in fact telling Abraham that his descendants would conquer their enemies and rule their cities. That's happened to some degree but it has not happened fully yet. But it's going to. It's going to happen. And I, I won't say that I promise you it's going to happen. I will say to you, God promised it will happen. You know what? When Jesus comes back to sit on the throne of David and to rule, he will conquer the enemies of Israel. They will have the land that was promised to them and there will be no discussions and no disputes. It will be as God said it would be. And then we see complete inclusion here. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Not only would Abraham's seed be blessed, but all the nations would be blessed through his seed. This is, of course, the reference to the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. And you and I are recipients of that blessing. We have been blessed through the seed of Abraham because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. You and I are part of the Father's family because of the work of the Son on the cross of Calvary. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I ask you a question? What are you waiting for? There's nothing to wait for. Do it today. And you'll be able to understand and know the blessings that Abraham was given way back in Genesis chapter 22. I trust this morning, uh, it's been a reminder to you of the importance of being people of faith, like Abraham was a man of faith. God always rewards those who are faithful, always. That's his character. He always rewards those who are faithful. Now, he may not give us the reward like he gave Abraham. He may not even give us the reward we want, but we can be confident that he will give us the reward that is best for us. He will give us the reward that he has planned out for us if we are faithful to him. I'd like to close by reading something uh, from the Nelson Study Bible. It says this, Abraham was obedient to the commands of the faithful father. The challenge for you and I is that we also would be obedient to the things the father has commanded us to do. Fathers, it is our day. It's our opportunity to make an impact on the people that God has entrusted to our care. Let's make a commitment to our Lord today to be the kind of faithful father that Abraham was and lead our families in faithful service. And can I tell you this? It's tough to be a father today. Not easy. We live in a world where Morals are corrupting around us. Things are decaying around us. We look around us and we scratch our head and we say, man, I never thought we would get to this point in our lives. We're here. 
And we might say, I don't know how to be a father today. You know what you need to do? You need to be in this book. You need to be studying this book. And you need to be the kind of father that Abraham was. A father of faith who will work out uh, the examples of obedience and trust in the lives of our children. It's not easy. But you know what? Offering your son on an altar isn't easy either. But Abraham trusted and God was good. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you again for just the example that was set for us today by Abraham. Uh, What a tough thing you asked him to do. But he lived in faith. He demonstrated his faith in a very real way. He was willing to sacrifice his son, believing that you would do an amazing thing, either raise him from the dead or or provide some other sacrifice. Father, that is a man of faith. Help us today to be people of faith who do what you ask us to do, as difficult as it may be. Help us to live our faith out in real life, in real time, in 2022. Thank you for giving us the ability to do that. That comes from you. The faith we have is not something that we conjure up in and of ourselves, but it is a gift from you, and we are grateful for that gift. Bless our fathers today, we pray. Help us to live in a way that honors you and sets the right example for our kids. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.